All right, we shall get started, right? Sure. Ooh, boy, there's a lot of echo happening here. All right, that's fine. That's actual reverb. As long as there's no feedback. I don't think it's feeding back too much, right? No feed? Okay, we are nearing the end of Thessalonians, and this is a church that we can really get uh, some good example of what how a church operates, how it works is, uh, with the congregation and uh, the responsibilities that... Uh, the church members have with each other and uh, how they have a relationship with uh, the leaders and vice versa. Uh, a lot of exhortations right at the end and uh, we got that first part done uh, last week and uh, I think that was around verse 13. And then uh, we get into another series of imperatives starting at verse 14 through verse 22. And uh, the next section is going to be kind of be dealing with 14 and 15 relating to um, uh, how the church members would relate to each other, how they uh, care for one another. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And then also the, the next uh, section uh, there from 16 through 22, which are more exhortations. And uh, again, it's dealing with um, uh, worship in the church, and the will of God, and uh, that's what we'll cover. <laughs> well, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank You for who You are, what You do. Thank You for Your Word and giving us instructions on how we are to live our lives in the church and uh, even outside the church. Uh, how we are to respond to your word, and just great reminders on what it is to be a Christian who is being led by your Spirit. And uh, of course, this whole book is dealing with uh, what a model church is, how the church functions. And so, Lord, we uh, desire wisdom on that always. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at verse 14, and after we've looked at um, how the elders and the people relate to each other, and um, of course it finished up, we'll live in peace with one another. Of course, that's how the church is to work. That's the, the Prince of Peace is Christ Himself. And so that we get into another section, um, 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, um, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Good practical advice. Something I don't think anybody could really disagree with. Um, there are kind of like a triple series here of short commands. And you have a verb, you have an object here, and uh, or an adverbial amplification, if we might. Uh, there's some exhortations aimed at the whole body and how they're to care for one another. So this is each each one in, in the uh, body of Christ. And so he says, we, we urge you. Uh, we This is what we are encouraged to do, to admonish the unruly. And admonish would be dealing with uh, admonishing the undisciplined. Um, Nutheto is the word there for admonish, which would be dealing with um, maybe biblically instructing uh, with the goal of correction based on spiritual understanding. 
And so that would be the idea of somebody's unruly. Uh, Atoktos is the word. That, one, that would be one who's out of order, uh, just totally out of place. Um, and so if one has the opportunity uh, to do that, then they are to do that. Uh, this could be the people, let's say, in Thessalonica, there was a group of people who were quitting their jobs. They were refusing to work. Uh, they were loafers. Uh, they were in a state of idleness because Jesus was going to come back any day, so therefore they didn't have to do anything. And uh, so that would be a group of people that would be out of order, out of place. Uh, they needed to be admonished, as uh, Paul has said so here in this letter to them in an earlier section. So that would be one thing that um, we as Christians are to do in, in the church if somebody's unruly. Uh, then the next one is encourage the faint-hearted. So there's your balance there. Uh, comfort the encouraged here. Um, encourage is, I think the word is paramuthiomo. Say that again three times fast. Para, which is alongside, <laughs> muthiomai, really would be probably the way to pronounce that. Paramuthiomai. Quite a few syllables there, aren't there? Uh, kind of tricky. Paul used that back in chapter two, verse eleven, which you're familiar with. You remember? Might be on a test, right? Yeah, might be on a test. Uh, I have to be able to pronounce it first, though. Uh, this is uh, would be dealing with um, maybe kind of like uh, Paul was with the Thessalonians, as he was kind of like a father. Uh, to them, but he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And that's the idea of that encourage there, encourage the uh, discouraged, I think you could probably uh, put forth there. Well, uh, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know how many saw my Facebook post today, but my wall calendar said that today is the National Day of Encouragement. So hey, right. well that sits right there, doesn't it? Right along with the text. Encourage, encourage. So the National Day of Paramount There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put that on your calendar for next year. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough word there to say, go. but we know what it means, don't we? That's the idea. That's, we know what it means. Exhort, encourage, uh, continue, for them to continue on the, on the course that they're on. You know, hey, you're you're keep doing what you're doing, right? And people are faced with all sorts of discouraging or perplexing problems, and it sure is nice to have somebody come along and just kind of give them a little bit of staying power. You know, and, uh, good, good, uh, helpful advice, and at the same time, um, bringing them on and saying, hey, you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep doing it. Yeah. Is the idol there, is that what you were talking about? I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, about the people who just don't want to work because they're thinking that the end times are coming any time now. And is that the same idol? Yeah, and, and it, it got, you know, it was like, well, why, you know, because a lot of people don't like to work. And if Jesus is going to come back, if it, you know, just, just sell all the stuff and just quit doing what we're doing. Of course, we know that we're given the uh, exhortation to um, keep doing as we are until he comes back. So it's not just the people who don't want to work because they know other people are going to take care of them. They're actually not working because 
they think Jesus is coming any time. Yeah, and why why bother with any regular work now? You know, Jesus is going to be coming back. And, of course, it's been 2,000 years now. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't know that at the time. So, at least, I mean... They spiritualize their usefulness in life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. they spiritualize everything so they don't have to do what's really... So that they would need it to be admonished. Right. And of course, Paul admonished them. You know, that, uh, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Okay. right? So, and and that that would be one of those one of those things. And we knew that was going on. There probably were some other things. Admonish the ones who are coming in there, telling everybody that there's, you know, Jesus has already come back. You know, the, the second coming has already happened. You know, some of that was going around. They needed to be admonished, didn't they? Because that wasn't true. Um, so, you know, and Paul did that pretty well, but he was very well balanced because he would certainly uh, lift up and encourage the the faint-hearted. By the way, that word for um, faint-hearted is another one of those long-syllable words. Uh, the word "sukikos" is in there, which is dealing with soul. Suk, suke. The aliga is dealing with small-souled. Faint-hearted is my translation. They're small-souled. Um, they look at circumstances, they look at problems, and they tend to give up and throw in the towel. They get overwhelmed quickly. Yeah. Aligo is a mental term for diminish. Diminish. Small. Minus. Right? Yeah. Very good. And that's yeah, that is a word used in our English language. And sukikos is dealing with psychology, the soul. Yeah. By the way, uh, nobody can know really what the soul is. Or to, to know what it's doing. Only uh, the heart is deceitfully wicked. <laughs> so anyway, they look at circumstances, but there are people and most of us can have times when we lack optimism and you know, kind of down and, and, and things that are happening and everything looks negative. But, you know, we can get turned around real quickly, you know, maybe even the next day or the next hour. But sometimes, you know, those things can weigh heavily on us. And um, it's just, people just need encouragement sometimes. And, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, thanks, right? So Did it ever happen to you guys? went to your doctor and said, I'm suffering from all of those Psychosis. Psychosis. As soon as you say that, they're going to. Oh my God, psychosis. And he would go, "What?" <laughs> How did you know that? Oh, it's from the Bible. Then they would lock it up. Yeah. So, for those who lack optimism and kind of down. It's always good to remind people, hey, here's what God has done. Remember that? Here's what God is doing, and here's what God is going to do. They need that kind of encouragement. We need that sometimes, don't we? It's always good to have. So that's comforting the discouraged. So you know, you got different people having problems. you got the, the un, unruly. Well, somebody has to take care of that, or they'll get everybody down. <laughs> and un, unruly. Uh, you have to have the, the discouraged to, to be comforted. And then also helping the weak here, and they could uh, the weak there is asthenes, and, and and it can mean moral um, debility. It, it could mean spiritual debility, uh, weak, maybe from persecution. They had persecution in Thessalonica, right? So as we look at it in the context and what was happening in the church at the time, 
uh, in Thessalonica, we, we say, well, yeah, I bet a lot of things like that were going on. But look in chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer afflictions. And so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So, you think Paul was doing all these things as he wrote this letter? Yeah. did that all the time, didn't he? And he says, everybody in the church is to be doing those things. Helping the weak. Um, morally, they've been tipped and maybe tempted to who knows what. It can be a lot of different things. Or maybe some kind of persecution from the family or people at work, or who knows. Um, but anyway, it's support the ones who are weak. That just makes sense, doesn't it? All of this is really... There's, doctrinally, it's not very hard to understand. But you try to put it in an application, sometimes it it's a little bit more of a challenge. But that's what we are to do. That's how the, the church can be really strong. And I think they were doing these things, and Paul wants them to keep doing it even even more. Um, oh, chapter 4, verse 3. They came from a pagan society. They came from a very immoral society just like today. That's probably all generations pretty well has had this. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Then he explains it the detail what he's talking about. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so he goes on from there. And so there's temptation there in Thessalonica, like there is anywhere. And so he says, help those that are weak in that area. Well, that's one verse, isn't it? We keep moving. Um, oh, be patient with everyone. We didn't finish that section either, did we? we could skip that um, be patient. <laughs> be patient with who? With everyone. I, I do fine until I start talking to someone. <laughs> <laughs> Patience is not my strong suit. Be patient with everyone, right? Even when I tell myself, even when I tell myself I'm not going to get upset. I'm not. <laughs> it's not a good thing. Well, that's um, the reason he says these things is because everybody has natural. to deal with that. That's right. It's not. Spiritually, it is now our natural response whenever the Spirit is leading us. But whenever our flesh leads, we're not usually very patient, are we? And the more we become conformed to Christ, the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Uh-huh. You know what the word is there? Macrothumia. That's the word. Long-tempered, right? Long-suffering. Patient toward all. And, and you know, even when you're admonishing the unruly, you still have to be patient with them. Or the ones who are really faint-hearted, we really have to be patient. The ones who are weak, tempted, um, beat down, be patient. Then he says in 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. With evil for evil. Let's see, the Lord says that... Um, he is the one who takes vengeance. Vengeance is mine, right? I think you quoted that too much. 
Vengeance is the Lord's. It's not our. We don't have to worry about taking vengeance on somebody to try to get back at them. That's God's job. He will do the perfect way to do it. Uh, evil for evil, but always seek that which is for good for one another and for all people. So all the body of Christ, all your family, people at work, your neighbors, anybody you ever run into, he says do good, right? One another, all people. The word there, pursue, is um, to hasten after, to run after, to chase after. Diaco. That's the idea that when he says seek after that or pursue, run, hasten to do good. Right at, at the end of 15 where it says, okay, you don't repay evil for evil. And then on the other side, you seek, you look out, you, you, you go out and try to find, run after something you can do good to somebody. Oh, okay. Mine says, but ever follow that, which is good. Ever follow that. Okay. Which would be to run, to hasten, to, okay. to follow after, chase after. It really makes, you know, take action. Really move on this. To, to find out that what you can do good for somebody. Yeah. Towards the person that can be evil for you, or just uh, It says for for all people. For all people. For all people. I, I mean, I Christians, non-Christians. That, though, in particular, to go the opposite direction, because there's that one by heaping, you know, you do good by kind of showing that person... Yeah, you actually do good. By it's a, by doing good by them. And this right by is them. totally unnatural. This is not a natural thing for people to do. Now, unbelievers can do some good things for people. Sometimes they can do better than Christians. Yeah, but right what's their motivation ultimately? Well, there's probably something more behind it than that. Yeah, do they? Yeah, but uh, a Christian of all things should be that. The word for good there is agathos. And it means good, <laughs> kind. Okay, that's um, instructions relating to biblical responsibilities for all. Uh, now we, we move to verse 16. Now you have these short, staccato uh, verses, the real short ones. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, right? And it's like Paul's just ramming everything, he can, whatever he comes up in mind, he just stams it in there, right? <laughs> And one would think that, but that's not the way that God works whenever He inspires people to write. Every one of these little statements have um, a reason there, and of course they're not just put there for fun. Uh, rejoice always. Uh, some of the grounds for rejoicing as Christians are the Lord Himself, right? That's good reason to rejoice. Um, how about His power? How about rejoicing in His resurrection? I've got all sorts of verses we can look up. We'd be here uh, forever just looking uh, about joy and rejoicing. Um, his presence with the Father. Uh, his presence with believers. His ultimate triumph. You'll see all these words that are, are connected with rejoicing and joy. Believer salvation. Oh boy, we know about that, don't we? We really rejoice when one comes to Christ. Um, Liberty in Christ that we have, the the hope of glory, Romans five two, uh, eternal rewards for the believers. That's some of the That's some of the reasons. There are many more, but that's some of the grounds, a foundation that we uh, would rejoice. What are some of the occasions? Hearing the gospel, right? Receiving the Lord, suffering with Christ, 
preaching of the gospel, suffering for the gospel, conversion of sinners, um, the godly walk of other believers, godly submission of other believers, uh, the rejoicing of others, the well-being of others, kindness of uh, believers, honor that's due to others, triumph of truth. So some of those are just occasions for rejoicing. You could go on and on. And like I say, I do have verses here. If you, if you want any of those, we can look them up. But um, just that one little verse, rejoice always, takes in a lot. And of course, he's saying always. Um, and of course, we know that, that means even in times when we wouldn't be laughing, but that we'd be sorrowing. And here, here's the paradox of it all. We are to rejoice even when we are sorrowing. And we need to look that one up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Because most of the time we rejoice because we outwardly are rejoicing. I mean, maybe laughing or we're just really tickled about something and thankful for... 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's talking about being content there. Rejoicing is part of being contented. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Huh? Did you mean 6.10? I meant twelve ten, but what do you what do you have for six ten? You have six ten written, and it talks about as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Okay, um, in in what? Second Corinthians. On the on the sheet, you have Second Corinthians six ten. Okay, yeah, I pa- okay I passed that one up. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> it's meant to be there. <laughs> Sorrowful, uh, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. So it's a paradox, isn't it? Yeah, thanks. That is a, that's a key verse right there, isn't it? <laughs> There's so many verses that I passed up there. I'm sorry about that. I I got to thinking, well, we could probably spend a whole week on rejoice always, but... What is the root for rejoice? The root? The Greek. Um, I think that... Uh, isn't that related to uh, to kara? Uh, kara, so of course, that's that's grace. Um, I think in this context, I think that's it. Um, okay. I can look it up. Don't worry. No, that's a... Yeah, look it up. As, as we're looking for it here in Thessalonians. In, in that. Um, matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, do you remember this one? Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So there they were um, being persecuted, but they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that was that church right there. That was very early on for them. And of course, Paul himself, we know all the way through. I think we uh, know that. That's interesting how uh, in that verse it says with the joy of the Holy Spirit, it's like 
there it shows the distinction between like what <coughs> would be regular joy compared to the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's a good, good point. Yeah. Because humanly, we like to th- think of it one way, but then the joy of the Holy Spirit is mm-hmm. the ultimate. Yeah. 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 It is. That's that You you hit that at the heart of that meaning mm-hmm. right there. That's what it is, and that's how that's how we can put always in there. Yeah. There's times we yeah. don't feel like rejoicing. You know, somebody, hey, come on, rejoice, man, rejoice. <laughs> oh, get away. Yeah. Yeah, Barb. You were right. Um, <clears throat> Kairomai is to rejoice, to rejoice greatly. It's even is better. Agalaya. Agalaya. Uh, greatly. Yeah. So that's uh, amplifying that. Yeah. Very good. Oh, we have to get Nehemiah 8.10 in there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Of course, joy has its root deeply in giving thanks, being thankful for what God has done. Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy of the Lord will be my strength. <laughs> there you go. We'll have to write a song. I think we got the first line right there. <laughs> so, Starts off this second one that we're looking at today with um, rejoice always. Then pray without ceasing. Everybody's always heard these before. They come right out of here, don't they? The always here is it's a customary present of what regularly occurs. What the idea is here, it's describing prayer as an attitude which just regularly breaks forth through the day that you just want to say something to the Lord, whether it be uh, a praise, a thanksgiving, uh, you see something in creation, something in nature, or you see something that you know God gave you the gift of doing something or whatever, and just personal requests, whatever, you know, throughout the day. It's, so it's an attitude of knowing you can go right to the Lord all the time. Yep. And if you're saying thanks all the time, which you're supposed to be doing, which is the very next one, you're, you're praying there, aren't you? So it's it's dealing with what regularly occurs. Uh, the word for pray there is prasukamai. Pra means to. Um, the sukamai there would be to pray. To pray to. To pray towards. Constantly pray so that somebody would say, "Well, how can I be praying all day, every day, when I have to do my work and I just can't can't do that?" Well, it's always in our heart and our minds. We just can't help but break out with one sentence: "The Lord, thank you, Lord." You know, just sit there and say, "Give me the hands to work and go to having a job to work." Yeah, those are the like you said, the very thing you start dreading. Then you start thinking about. I'm glad I have a job. Too. You ever no- noticed how it changes your attitude? Have you ever noticed how all of a sudden you've got a, a re- you're kind of right-minded on things whenever you go to the Lord? Just a little short, little sentences. How he he can change you right there. Well, like in everything, give thanks. That's the next one, and that means in everything. It means in all circumstances, even with something we don't even like, we don't agree with, and we can still say thanks, Lord. 
because we know He's sovereign. And so, how can we be thankful when situations are painful? I don't know. I had the weather, <laughs> the weather channel on last night, and they were um, there was a woman there, and she was at a shelter, and she was praising God that she was at a shelter and had like a roof over her head. Huh? Yeah, in Florida. And you knew that probably has to be a Christian. Oh yeah. She had a roof over her head. She probably lost her house. Isn't that amazing? But for the moment where she was, you know, probably an unhygienic, smelly shelter where hmm. you don't have any privacy, but she had a roof over her head and she hmm. praised God for that. And still living. Mm -hmm. it, that is getting things in the right place, isn't it? Yeah. Probably made a lot of people take pause. It did me. I, I wonder, you know, even unbelievers say, "Hi," you know, and they might even be saying that. Yeah. But if they are, who who are they really saying it to? Well, if they don't think about it, probably saying that woman's nuts. Yeah. Well, how can she say that? Yeah. Or a lot of times those contagious. You realize that when you see one person starts doing that. Oh yeah. You get the other. The sarcosis in the room shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get them to change out. You know, you, you might have lost their life. You might have lost your part of your family. You might, you know, yeah. Well, just, when I was a non-believer, I would have said that woman's nuts. It was nuts, yeah. 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 They might still kind of go, huh? Yeah, like yeah, that. I mean, they, but, yeah. There's already 44 people dead from this storm. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, but then you think, well, it could have been one of yeah. your kids. It could have been one of your friends. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. She had her priorities right. Well, that and that was giving glory to God. Oh yeah. In a simple, simple way, but she had the right kind of thinking at a time when you're most challenged, and uh, that that draws attention to who who God really is. That's an amazing thing that we can do. That it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can say that and mean it, trusting in in the promises of Scripture. Just so simple, but it this is real Christianity, isn't it? So God uses suffering as a tool, and He accomplishes His purpose. So when He says, "In everything, give thanks," it's not just for all the good things that go by. But you know what? Christianity really is upbeat and positive as you can get. You know, they talk about positive mental attitude, and you know. Don't even don't confess things that are bad and that kind of thing. Well, you know, well we see things and you know, like we've been talking about suffering already, and you know those kind of things. But really, when you turn it around, you flip it over on the other side, and you find out, oh, we can have joy in this, we can have thankfulness in this. It's really the most upbeat philosophy that there possibly is, and it's not fake. You know, some people can, you know, give it a positive confession, and you know, there's no substance to it, but they're just saying it. You know, because if you say that, then it'll it'll happen good for you. But it, it, everything is going to eventually work together for good. Amazing thing, and everything give thanks. So there is a cause for thanks. Matter of fact, failure to give thanks is a symptom of unbelief. Think of Romans 1.21. These are unbelievers. but For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. There we go. They didn't give thanks. 
They knew that there was a God. They didn't honor Him. They didn't give Him thanks. All He had done for them. That's that's un, unbelievers there. That's the wrath of God comes upon them. Of course, even Christians can have unbeliefs at times, can't we? And when we when we fail to give God thanks, then we have just what have we done? We've just sinned. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now he finishes up this little section here that started with rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And I think for this is God's will. It's God's will that we give thanks, but I think it's also it's God's will that we pray without ceasing. It's God's will that we rejoice. Matter of fact, it takes in a bunch of more things, doesn't it? But I believe this statement, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, I think it not only looks back to these three commands, but the will of God is thelema, and it's God's gracious design. Um, rather than just just His sovereign purpose, it is His design that He has. Uh, to obey God is to submit to His designed purpose. His purposes as He reveals them like here in Scripture. Is it a sin not to do that? Huh? Is it a sin if you don't do that? If we don't trust in His purpose, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So these three commands plus just a small part of the will of God um, in ourselves, we cannot do the will of God. We can't do these things. We can't rejoice always. We can't pray without ceasing. We can't give thanks and all the other things that go with that in ourselves. We can't accomplish what needs to be done there. But you notice the qualifier in Christ Jesus. And that's how it works. Uh, how do we uh, how do we do this? We seek to understand his will by what? The Word of God? Study of his word? Uh, Romans twelve, one and two Offer up yourselves as living sacrifices. Uh, and then renew our mind daily, it says in verse 2 of Romans. And then not only that, we, we seek to understand it, then, but then we want to, uh, what, appropriate it? Bring it into our, our lives, our hearts? And He works in us. Both to will and to what? and to do His good pleasure. I like that. Philippians 2.13. I love that. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's will. His design. Our union with Christ. So then it becomes that Christ is the very source of of our obedience. He's the very motive of our obedience. Now, at this point, there's a change in the responsibility commanded uh, that has been put forth. Um, Paul moves from like a personal worship, like rejoice always. That's to individuals. 
pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Of course, that's for a whole group too, but that's really focusing on the individual. Now what you do is it, it, it takes us into worship uh, corporately. Uh, and this is dealing with the quality of public worship. Um, so there, there's a little bit of a shift here as he goes into verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Here, quick, short, staccato sentences here. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. <laughs> do, do you notice here, This is now it looks like a, a place where people have come together. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Um, don't extinguish the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Uh, it's used in some places sometimes to, to put out a fire, to quench. Don't quench the Spirit. Uh, it's kind of a metaphor. What's that? Is that a Greek word um, that you have written there? Sabinomai, yeah. Really? Okay. Looks a little strange. Um, but it, okay, like in the New Testament, you see where let's look at um, let's look at Matthew twelve twenty. Let's look at a usage there of that that thought. Sometimes you you know you see the Holy Spirit and people talk about fire, you know. And <laughs> no, no, you know what I'm talking about, right? A lot in the, in, especially in the in the younger community, that's a, that's a key word, you know. And with the music, there's the fire going on. Um, I was. Um, did I say twelve twenty? Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Uh, that's something that's on fire. Okay, that's the that's the idea. He's using this this same thought in this in this metaphor. Um, or if we were to look at chapter twenty five, verse eight. Let's see. Uh, I think the idea of fire is, as the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Um, there's now no fire. That's kind of the thought. Um, so, when, when, when you have the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ as they worship congregationally, there should be that you know you don't want it to be smoldered you don't want it to be going out as it said in Matthew 25 with the virgins you know the, the oil is representative of what of the holy spirit right and so um we definitely want the holy spirit fully alive or there be uh, a fire in it since you look in acts 2 and of course i think that's probably where some people draw that uh, that Thought of, uh, of course, there were there was the tongues, some things going on at that time, but it was likened to fire in in those scriptural thoughts. So some in the church may have been resisting some things or 
uh, maybe you know the very power of God was working in the church, and maybe there were some that had a tendency that either could have or they did quench the spirit. It's like they they put him out, put out the fire. They quenched it. They extinguished the the fire that was that was happening there. Well, the very the very power of God working in a congregation, and and let's say if um, and of course you look in the t- in the context here, he talks about prophetic utterances, and um, there were some good things in there. Um, Got to remember, there was a gift of prophecy at that time, as they did not have the completed New Testament, so. God would use certain ones who had the gift of prophecy. Prophecy means to proclaim, doesn't always mean to t- tell something that is in the future, although it can mean that. But sometimes it's a it's a word from God that is proclaiming truth. Well, it, you know, we can talk about the things of truth, but it's all based upon God's word, right? So, but whenever they had something that came up through somebody, it might have been something they didn't have the New Testament completed, but it would be something that either Paul would write about later, or he had just written about it maybe to some other church, hadn't gotten to the let's say the Thessalonians or something, you know. Um, but these particular people would give certain uh, truths and principles that was needed for that church at that time. You know, God's Spirit would be there. Well, what can happen is that people can over-abuse that and misuse it and maybe say some things that aren't quite scripturally right. Maybe they're not being tested and or they are tested and then people can be very cautious and conservative and they go extremely on the other side and they put out maybe a truth that that was true and so and and we have to remember that the context of when that was um, but it would be you know similar today if we have if we're preaching the word of God and um, somebody doesn't want to go along with that truth that that can quench that spirit in that sense but at that time, people might have been overreacting to it and saying, okay, we're not going to have any more people standing up and giving some kind of prophetic utterance. And so at that time, that was what was, you know, it was okay to do. Make sure that you only, if somebody speaks in a tongue, what? Uh, one or two? And make sure there's an interpreter that people would understand. There was some truths that were given out uh, today we don't have to have somebody stand up and say, "I have a word from the Lord," um, because the word is all right here, and we are confident that this is the very word of God. Now, somebody might have some insight to some things. It's not that they're getting new revelation from God, but they are having some insight that can be wisdom, and it'd be great for all to listen to that. Now, that's that would be that, but it wouldn't be any anything that would be a new revelation. Like, here's what God told me, right? Yeah. And now they have something new. I know. And the thing is, it could be, it could, it could even be true. But the thing is, it's nothing. If it is true, then it's nothing that's not in here. And that's why we want to teach the full counsel of God. And if, you know, if you have too many doing that, and that's why he said maybe two or three. Uh, do that, but because it would be everybody standing up and 
all of a sudden you have pride issues that are coming into the thing. Well, here's what God told me, and now you've got things that are out of order. And but but prophecy today uh, usually means the sense of proclaiming God's truth that is already written. And if one wants to share how God has worked in their life, or hey, this is hey, this is something to look at. Here's what God might be saying here. You know, and and using our wisdom that can be helpful. He tells me yeah. stuff all the time, but it's but it's, it's from right here. Right, yeah, it's from right here. It wasn't anything new, was it? No, it was just reminding. But it was there, and yeah, does he talk with us in that sense? Yeah, he yeah. talks to us by the the word of God, and that that is what they had to do. They had to do like the Bereans. They how did they test to see if somebody was true? If they were giving something that was a really prophetic utterance, how did they test them? How did they know? Well, it would still have to be with with Scripture, uh, and that's why the Bereans were considered uh, noble in that sense. Um, in Corinth, there was this gift of prophecy that was, uh, you know, there was an overzealousness. Uh, it was an emphasis on the showing showy gifts and you know, people, whether it be the the speaking in tongues and whatever. And Paul said, "Let there be prophets, people who proclaim God's truth." over somebody who's just speaking in tongues and nobody's being able to understand. Because he's saying in, in pr- proclaiming, people understand what it is. That's uh, what 1 Corinthians 14. His whole emphasis in that chapter is understanding. Understanding what uh, the Word is. So Paul makes a, a kind of a general statement here, but he's forbidding them to check the, the Spirit's ministry of controlling, refining, maybe stopping it, putting it out. Or how about we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Um, Any time a, a, a believer does not confess his sin, uh, he's actually what? He's grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's quenching him. He's stifling him. If the Holy Spirit is convicting us, we are to confess it, right? So that could be those things individually. But uh, it it may simply here be a, a prohibition from there must have been maybe some ongoing ongoing pattern of believers who were putting out truths that were being brought forth from individuals, and uh, ultimately the God Spirit is here to develop character in us. So that could uh, could be the idea. It's definitely they were getting a lot of truths to them, and some were stopping it. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Um, other translation reads: Do not treat prophecies with contempt. To disdain, to despise, to reject, or treat with contempt. People could overact to somebody who gave a truth, a, a, a really a, an utterance from somebody who had been blessed and giving some truths out. And they'd put it out because, hey, we've seen this before, stop it. <laughs> and so Paul says, don't despise prophetic utterances. But then he gives the qualification in verse 21. But examine everything carefully. There's your Bereans there. And if, if it's good and if it's right, hold fast to that, that which is good. The word there for uh, examine is dakimazo. Oh, we've heard that word a lot, haven't we? It means to put to the test. Uh, it's talking about calling for biblical discernment. Um, 
to guard. Hold fast. Hold fast to that which is good. So you examine it, and then if it's good, then you hold fast to it. You guard that truth. You uh, protect it. You retain it. And of course, Satan would like to undermine the truth. And he'd like to take something from the teaching of Scripture, some great truths, and distort it. Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That, that the faith is the embodiment of truth. It would be the Word of God. The yes. faith. Contend earnestly. Contend earnestly. Fight for it. Guard it. Oh, I've got an amplification on that. Earnestly. Yeah. What what do you have? Do you have earnestly there? Or just contend? Okay. Earnestly contend. Yeah. The Greek word, I think it's probably it goes together with, with that, but uh, definitely it's it's uh, protecting it, guarding it, fighting for it. The good is kalos there, which we've seen before. Uh, that's whatever's valuable, whatever's profitable, whatever's useful. Uh, of course, that's the Word of God. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast that which is good. That's what we're always to do, right? And, 22, abstain from every form of evil or uh, appearance of evil. Stay away from anything that's evil. Anything that gives a form, a kind um, an appearance, anything that might produce beliefs or behavior that would be contrary to truth. Anything given as, like the previous commands that he's given. Anything that um, lines up with something that could bring in uh, the wrong idea of what God's church is about. That's what he does, and all of those really fit together when you when you think about it. As you back up, and as he started in verse twelve, um, this is how the church works. This would be a great uh, class for seminarians um, to have because this is how it really is fleshed out in the church itself. This is what. Um, the pastor's duties are. This is what the, the commands, the duties of the people who are members of the church that they, they are to carry this out. This this goes uh, together. They work very well. This is, uh, this is how God wants His church to live. Anyway, that's that section. I think we have yeah, one more section this left. We did it. Be careful. Getting all of them. Take it all more. Like, oh, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I did actually. Yeah. Actually, went twenty-four seconds over. So. Uh oh. But he started. Oh, playing. I started to brag. Knitting. Okay. Wow. Well, I think you might have been a, I'm impressed. Yeah. Thank Facebook. the Lord. It's going to be a hard act to follow next week. <laughs> oh yeah. Man. We'll see what. Um, what we come up with that as we finish with Thessalonians. Are, are you guys thinking of, of uh, 
doing Second Thessalonians next. Would you guys like that? Would that, yeah. would that be cool? Okay, we'll we'll just slide right on into that. And uh, this is. A, do you see how practical this this book is, though? This, this letter to this church. It's so simple. And somebody'd say, "I know all that." Well, good. <laughs> now, <laughs> boy, it does remind us, doesn't it? Uh, be content, boy. Be joyful. Be praying always. Be encouraging one another, boy. There's a lot of things there the church people are to do, aren't they? A lot of things. Hey, Nandor, yeah. would you mind closing us there? Don't worry. Thank you. Lord, thank you for your word tonight, for encouraging us, and for uh, showing us practical but very relevant and helpful and meaningful truths about the character we're supposed to display for others and not only in the church but outside of it and uh, Lord I ask that we do abstain from every form of evil that we don't quench your spirit or grieve it that you help us to hold to these truths and to uh, keep us accountable to them and that we pray to you consistently even those little tiny prayers uh, our glory be to you and to your son thank you for saving us in Jesus name, Amen Amen Thank you